For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Larry Hughes is going to pop out and get the ball. Jordan's going to rub his man off of Leitner and then cut down the center and gets a nice pass from Larry Hughes. What is up, fellow Wizards fans? In our last episode, you heard from Brandon Horvath, uh, Utah State UMBC forward, who is getting ready for the NBA draft process, what that looks like for him. He talked about kind of his road he'll likely have to take and try to grind out workouts and, and get himself on a summer league team and, and work you know into a two-way, something like that. There's so many good players that are going to have to potentially go undrafted, and there's still a lot of room for good, productive people to kind of join these teams, to end up on G League rosters, all these kinds of things, and, and just see where they shake out, if they fit in the NBA game better than they fit in college and, and, and all that kind of stuff. So great combo with Brandon. We're really rude for him. He was a really nice guy. And I think he's got like the right mindset about things and, and understanding like what kind of role he can play for an NBA team. I really do think uh, his game kind of is well-suited to play at the NBA level. I would love to see him, you know, on the Capital City Go-Go next year and just, you know, kind of see how his career shakes out from there. So if you haven't listened to that one uh, yet, please go back and do that. Obviously, we want to have him on to talk specifically about what a workout is like, what it's like with the Wizards, you know, who's involved. So he had some really good insight there. And then I think today we're just going to talk a little bit more about who they're bringing in for these other workouts. Who are the names we should be paying attention to? Who are the guys that are are more sort of, you know, in, in Brandon's range of people that that are going to be trying to grind out two ways and things like that? Or who are the guys that are likely to go with the 10th or even the 57, uh, 56th pick that the Wizards have? So I've got Nick Kalinowski joining me. If you don't follow him on Twitter, Kaliadrafts, K-A-L-I-D-R-A-F-T-S on Twitter. Great follow, really smart on the draft. I'd like to think I'm a draft enthusiast, but I don't know the depth of player that he does. So some of these names that are less familiar to me or that I have less in-depth analysis on, I think that uh, Nick's going to be able to provide a lot of really great insight here too. Obviously, I can talk about a couple of the bigger names and, and we'll get into that. So stay tuned. As always, rate, review, subscribe. Podcast has been bumping this summer. We, we've had a lot of a lot of good reaction. So really appreciate everybody who's been tuning in. It, it is kind of a funny thing to follow like our download trend and, and things like that. And a lot of times with the Wizards, it's this period in the off season, we actually do better than sometimes the middle slog of the season because there is hope for the Wizards for next season. And I think everybody's a little more upbeat and there's things to look forward to like the draft and what we'll do with our draft pick. So it's kind of interesting to follow that and, and kind of use that as a way to like gauge the interest of the fan base in the team at the moment. So I'm super interested in draft stuff. So we're going to have more of that coverage. Seems like people are liking it. Uh, so hopefully everybody enjoys today's episode and uh, yeah, just let us know if there are any questions or things you want to talk about. And uh, we'll make sure that we cover them in, in future episodes. Uh, but first, just a word from our sponsor, Bet Online. Our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all of your betting needs and sports info. 
Find all the latest sports developments, including updated odds on the NBA Finals and NHL playoffs, Major League Baseball fights, and even next season's NFL futures. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's super easy to get started, so head to the website today or use your mobile device to use our promo code BELIEF, B-L-E-A-V, and receive your 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. With that, let's get to our conversation with Nick. Okay, pleased to be joined by Nick Kalinowski, aka Cali Drafts. Nick, uh, thank you, man, for for coming in here and being willing to talk a little NBA draft with me. As I as I said to folks in the intro, you've got a much better grasp on on sort of the whole range of guys that are are now uh, draft eligible here. So I, I appreciate having some real expertise come in. <laughs> My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Uh, I think uh, one thing I want to start with: we had a leftover question from our mailbag. It was draft focused, so figured now is a good time to talk about it. It's from Fitz Cantrell. Are the Wizards too conservative in their drafting of personnel with players that have high bottoms but lower ceilings, a.k.a. Rui, Denny, Corey? And should this upcoming draft be an opportunity to apply more risk with a potential higher ceiling player? What's your take on that? So that kind of depends on what Tommy's vision is for the future of the team. Mm -hmm. So obviously, if we're keeping Beal around, um, we're probably going to lean more towards a win now approach, which I, I assume was the rationale behind taking a guy like Corey Kispert yeah. last year, who was older, but fit in well next to an offensive player like Beal mm-hmm. um, as a catch and shoot guy. I would personally love for them to do a higher risk pick, but I don't think that's what the vision of the team is at the moment. I'm in the exact same boat. Like, uh, It'd just be more, uh, honestly, be more entertaining as a fan if it was like a guy that, you know, he could be a whiff, but uh, also there's like some superstar upside there if everything kind of hits correctly. I don't think any of Tommy's three first round picks have, you know, like all star potential. They're all just sort of perfectly nice, could be a fourth or fifth starter if everything, you know, sort of pans out perfectly for them. Um, but yeah, I think you're 100% right. I, I just can't see him going for like, Usman Jang or somebody, you know, that that's like, well, maybe he's maybe he's really good one day, but um, they're not willing to find out. And honestly, just where they're at, like, con- you know, contract wise, I can't imagine them being willing to wait on a guy that might not pop to his second contract anyway. Like Todd is probably their most sort of, um, you know, up in the air draft prospect I think they've taken so far. And the thing about Todd is it was such a low risk pick. It was in the second round. So if, if Todd didn't pan out, Tommy's not going to lose his job. <laughs> exactly. So it seems like he's not willing to go out on a limb and make a more um, risky pick with those higher lottery in that lotto range. I think this is kind of a good um, natural segue here too. And part of what we wanted to talk about a little bit today is what they'll do with that 56 pick, if anything, or we will, will they keep it? Will they trade out? Would they trade up any of that kind of stuff? But let's assume that they, they stay put at 56. I'm okay. Anytime you're in the second round, just going for the guy that like has the most crazy upside possible. The Cassius Winston, Admiral Schofield approach hasn't worked out for them. Um, Todd hasn't worked out yet, but at least there's some, chance of them hitting on that pick. So if you, if you may not, if your second round pick may not become anything anyway, you might as well pick the guy uh, with, if he does pop, he's got sort of the most potential to be like, a, you know, impactful player. Right. Um, and there's a couple of guys like in the range of 56 
so the thing about 56 is it's such a hard pick, harder pick to predict yeah. with pick 10. Like you, there's probably a, at most like 12 guys you could probably see them take mm-hmm. if 56. You can go pretty much anywhere. There's a hundred guys, right? <laughs> Honestly. Um, there's a couple of guys like a Peyton Watson, for example, from UCLA. Mm-hmm. Um, he averaged, what was it? Like three points a game last year, some terrible efficiency. Um, but there were some signs in from his high school days and before that he could be potentially a fantastic, like defensive anchor mm-hmm. and the UCLA scheme didn't really show that off as, as much. But if you think that you could take a Peyton Watson, um, start out with his defense, make that into an NBA level skill, like right away, and then hope that you can develop his offensive game down the line. Then you have a player who could be a rotation guy in the playoffs because he's versatile, guard multiple positions. Um, and then he could not be a total liability on the offensive end of the floor. So that's the type of guy that I would love to see them take at this point. But I, again, no idea. <laughs> I wrote a thing, whatever, last year's draft, I guess, that like Brandon Boston Jr. is an intriguing guy for me, for them to take. It's a guy that had top 10 hype coming into the year. Obviously, everything kind of didn't work out the way he would have liked. And then you saw like real flashes this year of a guy that could be like a productive NBA player. Now he's still got like work to do. Consistency is a big issue. Uh, Strength is still an issue. But to me, like those are the kinds of guys I'd be willing to take a swing on later in the draft if they're still available for whatever reason. I think Watson's obviously a very different player, but same kind of thing, right? A lot of hype preseason for whatever reason it didn't work out you know, maybe you take a shot and, and that's a guy that you just see if you can develop in the G league for another year, then you see where you're at in year two. And I think what people, a lot of people have to understand is that most rookies are going to be negatives during their first couple seasons anyway. Yeah. Um, so if you're taking a guy like Peyton Watson, you, you shouldn't expect him to come in and be a contributor on the main wizards team mm-hmm. immediately. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, why not higher upside swing? That was the thing about Kispert too. It's like, oh, he's older. So he's clearly the like ready to play now guy. And, and that wasn't Kispert's career arc at any point. He was a late bloomer every step of the way. It took him a while to kind of like adjust to the pace of play in college and sort of add things to his game. Took him 50 games this year to look like a real productive NBA player. And then when he did, he was, you know, pretty solid, but still not like a real plus contributor, right? So even the win now guys, air quotes, are still going to take time. So these guys that are more raw, like that's why people like already being totally out on the Todd pick, it it drives me insane because like there was never an expectation from the Wizards front office, I can promise you that he was going to do anything for them this year. So the fact that he looked hit or miss in the G League, I don't think is at all surprising to them. And it doesn't mean anything about what he'll do, you know, in year three or four. Oh no, year one for Todd is a total wash. Like I, I don't take anything pretty much away from that. Um, when it gets to year three, year four, and if he still looks like that, then I'm going to start to get a little more worried about exactly um, his how he's going to translate. But for now, yeah, he's he's always drafted to be a developmental guy. Our fan base's strongest, uh, you know, uh, skill set here. I don't think is patience for the most part. So <laughs> I, I understand that. Maybe that's all fan bases. I don't know. I can't relate too much outside of our own little bubble here, but you know, the, I think it almost would do the team like a, a service and the player a service. If they came out and said, like, we don't expect anything from Todd this year, you know, like obviously you don't want to hurt his confidence or whatever, but 
yeah, th- there needs to be some sort of expectation setting um, before, you know, people are like literally crushing him on Twitter every day. Anytime he has like a one for seven shooting night or something. Right. And he was one of the guys that was from the G League Ignite that even looked raw on yeah. on that team, which yeah. had a bunch of raw prospects like Jonathan Kuminga, mm-hmm. who wasn't even expected to be a contributor right away either. But even compared to him, he looked a little bit behind. So to come in and expect like 30 points a game in the G League was just always unrealistic. <laughs> and that's the thing, like, that's why I'm okay with it in the second round. Maybe he never comes together and, and you've really not really given up anything in the process, in my opinion. But anyway, let's um let's kind of use that to transition here into the fact that they brought some guys in for workouts and and maybe there's some you know trends we can observe from this or, or maybe not, but just maybe it helps us get a sense for the kind of player they're looking for, that sort of thing. So Wednesday's group had Eric Ayala from Maryland, Daryl Morcel from Marquette, formerly of Maryland. Anthony DeRuji from Florida, kind of a athletic three and D guy without the D is my understanding. <laughs> Are you familiar with DeRuji at all? I, I don't know as much about him. So he was not really on many watch lists. Um, I have seen him like kind of sneak in around like the 80 to a hundred range mm-hmm. on some big boards. Um, I did see him a little bit while watching Colin Castleton. And he, I think he came into Florida as a terrible shooter. But I, I have been excited to see that development with him. And you you are right. He is super athletic. But I don't think it does translate on the defensive end as well. So I don't see him at, in the draftable range. Um, but could be cool for the go-go maybe as a two-way guy. I think that's almost what I would say across the board of their sort of Wednesday selections. Like as a Maryland fan, I wouldn't mind seeing Ayala and, and going to um, – you know, go, go game and seeing a guy I know out there or or root for just running through the rest of the list. Grant Golden of Richmond. uh, If anybody's watched college basketball over the last like nine years, they've probably seen the (laughs) Grant Golden game at some point. Brandon Horvath, who we just had on the show. So shameless plug for anyone who hasn't caught that episode yet. Uh, Really good convo kind of about what this workout situation looked like. So I'd encourage everybody to check that out. The more tape I watched of him, like I had seen him play probably a dozen times, but I hadn't really paid attention to him as a draft prospect, I actually am like a little more excited about a six ten guy that is like a good ball handler. And I think we'll shoot it at a higher clip in the pros. So again, if he's on the go-go, I'm very happy with that. Last one here, Deshaun Schwartz. I saw George Mason play in person twice this year and I don't remember him. So I think that's probably not yeah. a particularly good sign. And he, that was and the one name on there that I didn't recognize at all. And speaking of Horvath, um, I, as a UVA fan, I still have UMBC PTSD. I can um, <laughs> so yeah, that that uh, I don't think that's one that you can ever get over. Like a national title helps, I think, but that that's yeah. that's still traumatic. Yeah. The only name from that list that I'm like mildly intrigued by as like an actual guy that I would want the Wizards to maybe you know bring into camp or something like that is a Daryl Morsell. I think the defense is real and I think he shoots it just well enough that there's like some hope there that he can keep improving in that regard. But um, seeing him shut down like James book Knight in their tournament game two years ago, it, it just kind of was like, okay, he can stay in front of a bouncy quick guy with, with actual ball skills. Like to me, I think he's a guy that if, if they were going to bring him in on a two way or something like that, I, I wouldn't be opposed to that per se. 
Yeah. Um, he and Aaron Wiggins were on the, that same Maryland team yep. together. And Wiggins has kind of translated pretty well, actually, for the Thunder. Um, and I thought there wasn't too big of a difference defensively between the two players. Um, so if, if you look at what Wiggins has done and you say, oh, we could take a similar player from a similar system and uh, take him and put him in a little, a little more of a minor role and say, hey, maybe this guy could develop into more, then yeah, sure, why not? Uh, going to Thursday's group, it got a little more exciting. The, the first note that came out was about another group workout. Kive Aluma of Virginia Tech, Justin Bean of Utah State, Marcus Bingham of Michigan State, Kofi Coburn of Illinois, Colin Gillespie of Villanova, Quentin Jackson, Texas A&M, and then like drop a couple lines down in the press release. And it was the Wizards are bringing in Johnny Davis for a solo <laughs> workout. So I think that caught everybody's eye a little bit more. Uh, maybe let's just start here with Johnny Davis. He was rumored to be their first interview kind of other process that they got, you know, actually um, reported on. And it's it just still funny to me. And I've mentioned this in a couple previous podcasts, but they put out this thing about how they're going to look for all these diamonds in the rough with their draft pick. And then the first interview is with Johnny Davis and the first public workout we hear about uh, from, you know, a player in, in the reasonably draftable range around 10 is Johnny Davis. So <laughs> I, I don't know if this is a smoke screen. I'm just sort of curious what your take is on, on how real their interest in, in Johnny Davis might be. And and what do you think about his potential fit with Washington? Don't be, don't be, don't get me wrong. I have Johnny Davis in the lottery. I'm just mm-hmm. not sure why we're interested in an offensive-minded combo guard when we already have that in Bradley Beal. Um, I think we need more of a true point. But the fact is that this class is so weak in the true point yeah. class that if you think you could take a Johnny Davis and make him into more of a facilitator, then yeah, sure. But like he's a three-level scorer for me, excellent at contested shots, mid-range threes. He's he's one of the top three in the class at that to me. Not a total negative defender. Um, but also I wouldn't put him up there with the um Tar Eason's or any other defensive uh, minded guard that you have in mind. I think he could be okay with the Wizards, but I would love to see us maybe go for like a Dyson Daniels or maybe like a Kennedy Chandler or a a more true point guard. See, I I really liked the defense. That's the separator for me and why I kind of am not mad about the pick. Again, it's not consistent, right? When the guy's scoring 20 points a game on a team that needs him to kind of do everything, I don't expect to see like he's their number one uh, like stopper every possession. But when the dude was locked in, I thought he was like a nightmare for people, like trying to get the ball past him. So hopefully, you know, you could kind of get him to focus on that a little bit more full-time. I want to touch on the facilitating a little bit there. I think some of his passing is like actually special, but there's just not a ton of it. And, right. and how much of that is like, you know, he just kind of gets, gets lucky a couple of times a game with a special pass or it's the team or the system or just opportunities. Like I, I do remember like a couple possessions uh, when they played Purdue and guys just like squandered, give me assist that he spoon fed them. But you know, maybe he gets another assist or two a game. I don't know that that changes like how you view him as a passer. So I, I guess the question is, do you see a world where like longer term he can transition into more of a initiator or creator for an NBA team? Um, Sure. I mean, yeah, there were definitely flashes on tape. And if you think that those flashes are more than just 
a one-off type deal. Yeah. And yeah, absolutely. But the thing that worries me the most about him and is, is not really his facilitating, but his ability to get to the rim. Yeah. I think he really struggled at blowing by defenders mm-hmm. and especially quicker ones. And if he wants to play the one, um, he's going to be matched up with those quicker guys. And he had to often settle for these like off balance contested mid range shots, which did go in, but are probably not the highest percentage shots that you're looking for. Um, so that's kind of what worries me the most about playing him as a full-time one. And they're tough shots against college players. Not that there aren't good defenders in college basketball and good defensive systems that, that teams employ, but it's a little tougher to do against, you know, pick, pick a high end NBA defensive wing. If you got to do it against Mikhail Bridges or something, that's even tougher now. And, and does he make those same tough shots against now even better defense? Right. I'm sort of torn on this one. Like I wouldn't hate it again. I, I think the perimeter defense is real enough that we just need that so badly. If somebody came in and like wanted to guard for a full game, I would be so relieved by that. But yeah, he, he's definitely further down the list for me at the very least. And, and I think this is maybe a sign that the guys that we all kind of want them to take Daniels, Matherin, things like that aren't going to be available for them. We've seen Dyson Daniels have some workouts with teams in the top eight or nine. Um, same with Matherin, or at least heard those things are being scheduled. So, you know, there might be a point where those guys just say like, Hey, we don't think we're going past eight. You know, we're, we're not going to work out for a team at 10 or, or whatever. So it'd be interesting to see what the next kind of big name or higher, higher profile workouts are. But the fact that Johnny Davis is like the first guy in the door is probably a reasonable sign that that's somebody that they think um, is a real target for them. I think uh, with the 10th pick. And again, it's not someone that I would be like totally upset about Tim, um, but I don't think it solves our biggest needs. It does address perimeter defense, which is one of our big needs. But I think I still think we we need to come out of either this draft or this free agency with a solution at the point guard position. Agreed, and that's so. You made a really good point there about okay, point guard uh, is not the sort of um, the, the biggest available prospect range or you know grouping. Uh, in, in this particular draft, you've got Ty Ty Washington that people like. If you consider Daniels a full-time point guard, he's probably the cream of the crop. Kennedy Chandler, who you mentioned, who I'm also very high on. But that's kind of like it for me in like, honestly, like the first round range of guys I say that like are are more suited to be like a full-time point guard from from day one. Is there anyone else you can think of that that should be consideration for them, you know, around the lottery? Um, around the lottery, no. If they were to trade down, maybe then you okay. could get in the range of like the Alondis Williams or the um, the Hugo Bassans, something like that. But no, not not a ten, definitely not. Unless you consider maybe like a Malachi Branham to be um, another like combo type sure. guard. But again, kind of in the same boat as Johnny Davis, not really a pure point. Yeah, he again, he makes some really great passes and some great reads, but. I think he like kind of struggles as a ball handler right now. So it's harder for me to, to see that fit. Although I do really just kind of like him as a prospect. The other name in this group that, you know, seems like a very on-brand Tommy Shepard kind of guy. I don't know if he would go 56 with this, but Colin Gillespie out of Villanova, like this is your, I am college basketball point guard of the last half a decade, basically. And he's a very good player. Uh, but watching those combine scrimmages can't take a ton away from him, obviously. But 
he looked outmatched to me. And I, yeah. I like distinctly remember him airballing at least two open threes, uh, which not that he can't eventually figure out the NBA line or whatever, but to me, I didn't sit there and think, oh yeah, this is a guy that that's going to come in and like make an impact at the NBA level. Do you think there's any chance of Colin Gillespie being like a productive NBA player long-term? I wrote about this actually. I did like a little takeaway tweet from every game of the combine mm-hmm. and from both of the games that Gillespie played in, my takeaway was that you probably shouldn't take him. He looks <laughs> he looks like he doesn't belong on the same court as a lot of these same guys. It, he looks like he can't either can't compete or can't stay with the other athletes. Mm-hmm on the court and i don't think he has the like uh outmatched like iq to like make up for it um and i don't think he brings anything to the to the table that you can't find with a more athletic point in that same range so no i i I don't think i see a future for him in the nba i'm i'm unfortunate because i do like him as a college player (laughs) yeah same here and and he's a guy that Again, I would be very happy with him being the starting point guard for the go-go next year, Uh, because I think having a real point guard and a real center in that setting actually like helps everybody else look better in their role and kind of be successful. So I think that's helpful for the team. So even if you don't consider him a real prospect for the Wizards, at least giving him that opportunity on the go-go kind of sets everybody else up for success. And he'll definitely do that. Um, He's going to get the right people, the right ball at the right times. And uh, I think that's that's sort of valuable um, in that setting, especially. But, you know, maybe you can make a case for uh, the Villanova pedigree here or something being enough to, um, you know, maybe give him some consideration or whatever. He did shoot like a pretty darn good percentage from from everywhere. I think he was like plus 40 percent from three, like 90 percent from the free throw line. So I, I don't know. Maybe you think you can turn him into something like that longer term. But I, I just kind of don't see it at this point. The other one there is another guy I wouldn't mind seeing for the Go-Go. It's Kofi Coburn, 21 points, 11 rebounds a game. I don't see him being an NBA player um, long-term either, to be honest. He's just so big and so slow. But again, he's another dude that if he's on the Go-Go, I'm I'm okay with that because I I think, um, you know, he helps you kind of highlight those other guys' skill sets a little bit more. I'm actually probably higher on Coburn than I am on Gillespie only because I do Same. think he has some NBA level skills. I think he's a great rebounder. Yeah. I think he can handle himself well on the interior um, the, on defense. Mm-hmm. But again, to your point, he really struggles to guard in the perimeter. He's no range whatsoever. Super plotting in the open court. I, I actually have him in the mid seventies, which is fairly high yeah. um, for him, but I, I am also confused as to why he decided to stay in this draft. I think he can make plenty of money with the NIL if he stayed at Illinois. But again, I would, I would be more inclined to take a more developmental project as a big, because we have plenty of bigs already. Um, We have Thomas Bryant, got Gafford. We got plenty of depth at that position. So if we were to take a more developmental guy, they could stay in the G league while we keep having Gafford and Bryant play big minutes for the main squad. So, and Coburn is absolutely not that. I think he's already at his ceiling. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's just a big body, right? And and you hear that a lot from fans and I don't know that I agree with it, but the Wizards need another big body center when they play the Joel Embiid's and like Kofi's not going to solve that for you. Like he was a good defensive college center in a situation where he could just literally plant himself around the basket. He's not guarding Jokic. He's not guarding Embiid. 
uh, he's not guarding Giannis or even Valanchunas or any of those other like guys that you actually have to worry about around the paint. Like it's just, it's just not going to happen at least in year one, like maybe longer term he can do that. But um, I just don't see that being in any way, the answer to any of those guys. And the thing about Embiid and Jokic is their game's not all about strength. They have finesse as well. I don't think Coburn has the the foot speed uh, to keep up with the post combinations that those guys can hit you with. Exactly. The first time you get like a drop shoulder, like baseline spin from Embiid, I mean, Kofi's going to look silly. And and I, you know, I wish him the best. He was a really fun college player to watch, but uh, it's it's a name that I think fans have kind of liked as like that 56th pick. And uh, I think I would aim a little differently if it were me personally. Uh, Yeah, I would too. I agree. Uh, the other one on here. So Marcus Bingham, I got to be honest. I did not watch much Michigan state this year. I try not to watch them if I can help it just because I'm not a big Tom Izzo guy. So any Michigan state fans listening to this, sorry about that. But in the very few times I did see them play this year, Bingham did not stand out to me as an NBA player either. Is there anything there, you know, about him or like about him that's worth mentioning? Um, not really much either. I was more watching Michigan state for like a Gabe Brown exactly, or, or an AJ Hoggard for next year. Mm-hmm. Um, again, nothing super impressive, kind of athletic, but that's about it. That's really all I can say about him. Uh, you know, I actually think of sort of the, I mean, a different sort of big here, but like a Kive Aluma is more in, intriguing to me than either of those two names. I don't see him again, being like a super impactful NBA player, but he had a really good year for Virginia Tech. He's a little more mobile than those guys. So, you know, maybe he's somebody that latches on somewhere or has a good summer league somewhere, something like that. Hurts me to say this as a UVA fan, but yeah, I am the highest of Aluma out of all of those guys that we just mentioned for the reasons you just mentioned as well. Pretty mobile, good screener, has a developing shot. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's gotten a little bit better over the past couple of years at it. So if you believe that trend is going to continue, then yeah, I'm. I, I'm pretty high on him. Uh, going to the Friday group here, the the noteworthy name, we did mention some other point guards that might be at least in the draftable range. You've got Jean Montero from the Overtime Elite. I watched very little Overtime Elite. I've been very open that I know the least about him of any of the kind of prospects that might be like fringe first round. So I'm sure you've seen more of him than I have. Can you kind of give uh, listeners an, an idea of what his game's like and and how you know you see him as a prospect? Yeah, so John Montero was a pretty interesting player to scout this past year because he had the probably the lowest level of competition of anyone right. in the draft because overtime elite is basically playing against high school teams mm-hmm. most of the year. And what he has is he has good burst, he has good playmaking, but I don't the the shooting efficiency wasn't there, and he didn't dominate as much as you would hope a mm. top tier NBA prospect would against high school opponents. And that was a little worrying, but there were moments like like the Nike Hoop Summit over a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. where Montero looked actually pretty good, and the feedback among him from practices and the games were that he was one of the best players there, okay. which is pretty nice because that's a higher level of comp with mostly four and five star level athletes who you'd expect to be around NBA level. Um, but again, the one combine game that he did play in, I almost forgot he was playing in it because he didn't really do anything. So very kind of bipolar production from him. Um, I don't think he's the solution to the point guard need that we have because we can't play him right away. Um, We need more consistency from him before we give him big minutes right off the bat. 
but there are some flashes there. He's like Patty Mills. Whenever he puts on that international jersey for the Dominican Republic, <laughs> he just goes off, has these incredible performances. But you just don't see it more commonly enough with like club teams. You know, if if he's on the board at 48 and they want to jump up from 56 to 48 to get him or something like that, I'm not like against that from what I've seen, but uh, definitely not a guy I'd be trading into like 28 to go get or or whatever, you know, that where his range realistically starts. So it was interesting, too, that he was one of the first names reported that they were bringing in for a workout. So I don't know if it's just they've seen something there that they liked. He's interesting to me in like the context of almost all these other guys is the common theme or trend to me is here are like older veteran guys. And I don't know if that's their thought that these are like win now guys, because they're older. If we're going to take a second round pick, maybe they're more equipped or ready to come in and play right away. But uh, everybody in that first group was born in 1998 or 99. Like that's, you know, those are the oldest guys that are going to be considered for this draft. And, And it really didn't change much with the next two days, other than, you know, like Montero and Davis and another exception or two here or there. So the, the Friday group also had Alex Barcelo, J.D. Note, Charlie Moore, Maker Maker, Josh Carlton out of Houston. Any of those names that intrigue you at all? Yeah, Alex Barcelo graded out to me as one of the top three shooters in this draft. Same. Just pure jump shot. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and uh, he is on the older side. I think he's about, what, 24, 25? Yeah, I, I got to imagine he's one of the oldest players in the draft at this point, other than Justin Bean, who is actually 27 years old, I think. Uh, which yeah, is kind of um, but if you want to take Barcelo and like give him a summer league shot and see if his jump shot translates over to a higher level of competition, then yeah, I, I would I would do that, but I wouldn't draft him. Um, I'm in the same boat. I, I very much enjoyed watching him play the last again, half dozen years, um, average 17 points a game, about four rebounds, about three assists, 44% from three over the last two seasons, which is kind of crazy on, on like pretty good volume. And he's like a just sub 90% free throw shooter. So I, I think I'm with you that, that, that that's something that's like legitimate. I expect him to shoot at the NBA level because he was making shots from NBA range this year already. Uh, but you can't draft him, but, uh, if, if he's, you know, one of the starters on opening night of summer league, I'm not going to hate that. That's another thing that I think this draft is pretty weak on is high level outside shooting. You have your AJ Griffin in the lottery, but after that, that's pretty much it until you get to the uh, Kellen Grady's or the Alex Barcelos with the older Mm -hmm. sharpshooter type guys, you'd probably take the late second undrafted. So if you can come away from the draft with a guy like that, he could be a solid role player for you as like a ninth or 10th man. College basketball fans or people who watch the tournament this year, a good amount are probably more familiar with some of these names. Charlie Moore, who played on like 11 different college teams, it seemed like, uh, was the point guard for Miami this year who made a good run. J.D. Note uh, obviously was like a SEC player of the year candidate. So um, maybe a name people are familiar with. Moore is just like too small to me to be an NBA player and, and not skilled enough to make up for it. Note is maybe interesting. He didn't shoot very well this year. I mean, worse than kind of the previous years, I, I think, from what I remember. He was like sub 30% from three. But he's a guy that you could just like hand the ball to and say, go score something. And I think he could do that. But I don't well, know if he, what else he gives you. He struggled a lot more than I expected at the G League Combine, mm-hmm. which are against players who are probably not going to be future right. NBA level guys. And if you don't really stand out amongst those guys, you're probably not really going to stand out at 
a higher level. So not what I, I, I expected a lot more of him and he didn't same. deliver, which was disappointing. Yeah. I, I had the same thought. Uh, the other name here, Howard university legend maker, maker, uh, any, oh, any yes. thoughts or, or any feedback from, uh, you know, what, what you've heard about him or seen about him. I jokingly say legend there, but he played two games in his college career. So I have no sense for what this guy is or what he's like, or um, if he's even worth them like having for a workout, honestly. He has had such a weird journey to get where he is now. He was a five-star back at Hillcrest. And I watched Hillcrest, which had like Dalen Terry and Michael Foster and all those guys. And I was confused as to why he was the five-star and they weren't. <laughs> Um, which was not a good sign right off the bat. And then he decides to go to Howard, which was an awesome story because he was like the highest recruit yeah. ever to commit to an HBCU. But he, I guess, somehow had a preseason groin injury, but decided to play through it for the first two games and then decided that it was too bad to continue playing and sat out the rest of the year, which was a little confusing to me, but... Did I think he did declare for the draft after last year, but was nowhere near anyone's board. So he decided mm-hmm. to go to Australia to play in the NBL Next Stars. And I did watch a couple of games with his team, but I don't remember him playing. That's a lot. Yeah. I think he had a couple like big dunks, but that's about it. Um, I don't think he's skilled enough as a rebounder to play the five, which is which would be his main position. Um, he is super long though. He does have a, those maker jeans with the really long arms so if you think you can make a defender out of him then sure but another guy that i probably wouldn't touch same the other name in this group josh carlton out of houston i like all the houston guys anybody kelvin samson coaches i expect will defend at a good level to me he was kind of like the worst player on their team that played meaningful minutes i I don't know i just if you're telling me like if marcus sasser had stayed in the draft and that's the houston prospect we were interested in okay great but Carlton's like a 6'10 guy, average like 11 and 6, doesn't shoot it, not really a shot blocker. I, I just, I'm not sure I see what he would bring to it. He's another guy team. I think that they brought in because he has local connections. He went to, went to DeMatha for high school. Okay. I remember him Didn't playing there, that. actually. Um, but yeah, he's had two torn ACLs in college. So that pretty much sapped whatever athleticism he did have left. So yeah, I don't, I don't think he's part of their future plans either. Any names that that you're really like keen on that that should be on their board come 56 that we haven't talked about here that you'd at least like to see that they brought in for a workout or have shown some interest in? Like who who are your guys in the late second round? So that would depend if if they do take a point guard at 10. I don't want them to take a point guard at 56. But if Iris and Molinar is still available mm-hmm. at 56, that's one of the guys that I would be super interested in. Um, he was phenomenal in 2020, 21, um, I was shocked that he didn't end up declaring because he had the three level scoring really efficient three point shooting, um, is a decent playmaker and has the length to be a great defender. But then he decides to come back to Mississippi state and those numbers kind of fell off a cliff. The shooting, the perimeter shooting, especially seemed to take a pretty big hit. And a lot of that was due to scheme. Mississippi State had some really weird schemes. I have some like screenshots of like him with the ball at the top of the key, and there'd be four guys in the paint. Like, what are you supposed to do with that? <laughs> right. um, You're not but, setting your guy up for success at that point, especially a guy who prides himself on getting to the rim. Right. And I think 
that may have contributed a little bit to why his numbers decreased so much, but mm-hmm. I don't think either he saw that number and thought he needed major changes or something else happened because of the combine. He displayed this really weird new form on his jump shot where his elbows are going out both in opposite directions, kind of like a square. Usually and, not a good sign either, by the way. Yeah. It seemed like he'd lost confidence in that shot, which um, dropped him on my board pretty significantly for me. But again, still has that great finishing ability with both hands still has like a plus five wingspan with the upside for defense um, can play both guard positions pretty well. So again, if you think you can reestablish confidence in that jumper, then I would take him because he's like, he would be a quality backup guard for us. Agreed. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Any other thoughts? Any other guys? It doesn't have to be point guard. Any wings you're interested in? I'm always a, hey, draft as many wings as you can possibly get and if we have too many wings, that's sort of the best problem you can have. So any, uh, you know, um, two through four kind of guys you like? You're, I know you're super high on this guy as well. Uh, Vince Williams mm-hmm. from VCU. Um, super versatile guy. Can play multiple positions. Um, can distribute pretty well. Can score. Not the best defender in the world, but I think he's in the David Roddy category for me, where if you think, you have, you have a special offensive coach. You can kind of mold him into a very specific role. Then you could have a walking mismatch mm-hmm. at certain points in time. So if, if Wes or someone on Wes's staff thinks that they could take him and we have a role for this guy that we can put him out on the floor and set up mismatches all over the place. then yeah, absolutely. Take Vince Williams. He's like just under six, six, got a seven foot wingspan, kind of like a big, early dude, you know, like he's got good size already. I think he's not going to get bullied around. And I think you hit on the huge thing there that most people don't seem to mention with him. Like some of the passing is really good. And yeah. uh, I think we could use a few more guys like that, that aren't kind of ball stoppers. So uh, it's another reason I think I've kind of keyed in on him, you know, at that point in the draft. Yeah. He has the size to play the two or the three, but if the playmaking continues to develop, you could have a pretty big burly point guard, which I don't think a lot of teams have. Yep. Any guys earlier in that second round that you're kind of big on that if maybe they fell a little bit, uh, the wizard should be looking to try to trade up for or something like that. Yeah. Um, so Tommy's got two things that he looks for and we know this, they're international guys and Gonzaga guys right. and two for one here. Smelling one it. guy that fits both those categories. Oh. That's uh, Andrew Dempard from Gonzaga. Um, really shined in that one game that he played at the combine, probably the best pick and roll navigator of any guard in this draft to me. Um, a lot of the reports have him going early second now at this point, which would put him out of the range of 56, but he was my primary target for that pick. Same. But unfortunately he, he played too well. So a lot of teams are probably looking at him in that range, but if he fell to like maybe the mid forties, early fifties, I would very strongly consider trading up to take him. 
and he's he, it's, a perfect backup point guard. I can't remember what it was, but he had some sort of muscle pull. It was either a calf or a quad or a hamstring, something like that, that kept him out of one at the first game there. And I was like, okay, this might actually be good for us. Maybe he doesn't play. Yeah. Know, maybe he doesn't pop on his board. And then he plays while hurt and looks really good. And I'm like, oh shit. All right, we're done here. <laughs> and there goes any chance we're picking this dude up. Well, yeah, good size. I think that's sort of the underrated thing. And I think he's a guy who could come in and like run a second unit right away. Yeah. Uh, because he just, he's not going to need the ball a ton to like help too, because he'll cut, he'll make some shots, get and shoot. Like he can do other things than just set other guys up, but that is his bread and butter. Like he would get other people involved. And I, I was texting with some buddies about this prior to recording here, but the Wizards have been linked to Shane Larkin, former Miami player, who's like probably genuinely one of the best players playing in Europe right now. Yep. But he's another guy that's sub six feet tall. And I don't care how good you are. I just, I can't get the image out of my mind of people just like shooting over Neto and Ish. Yeah. So our fascination with like shorter backup point guards, uh, it, it drives me a little bit crazy. So for, for that reason, you and I, I think I've talked about this guy a little bit. Jordan Hall out of St. Joseph's. He's a six foot eight ish point guard ish. I think he makes some like really special passes, especially considering his teammates were very bad. I was actually shocked by how terrible his team was seeing them in person. Uh, like they didn't look like high level division one basketball players for the most part. And he was still reasonably productive shot just, just below 40% from three. But he's not like super long. He's six eight with a six nine wingspan. Not a great athlete, and doesn't really get to the paint much. Kind of turnover prone. So I've gone back and forth. Like if I watch highlights of this dude, I can really sell myself on like yes, with fifty six, that's where we should be targeting. And then if I watch like entire games, I'm like yeah, uh, I don't know here. So so where are you at on somebody like Jordan Hall? I, I have Jordan Hall in draftable range now. I have him in my top 60, but I didn't have him there my entire draft cycle. And he's really only there because a lot of a couple of people withdrew. Mm-hmm. So he moved up. He a lot of the things that you talked about did show up quite a bit at St. Joe's, but I felt like at the G League Combine, a lot more of those negatives popped up, especially in that first game that he played at the G League Combine. They were the other team was clearly setting up plays to attack him on defense over and over and over again. And it kept working. And that's, as as we've talked about earlier, perimeter defense is something that we really desperately need at, at, in Washington. So if we got another massive negative at the perimeter position. Tough to overcome. Then, yeah, it would be a rough a rough go for our, our squad on the outside. So I that that is what I worry about. He does fit the mold of new age giant point guard with the playmaking skills, but I, I don't think he's a positive enough on the defensive end to make up for that. So here's another guy that might be in the same mold. Uh, where are you at with uh, NC State's Darian Seaburn? Like, I think he had a really good combine, kind of the opposite of Hall, and, and maybe helped his stock a little bit. But another guy that's maybe not necessarily like a point guard, but he's a big dude who can create for people. He's like hard to keep out of the paint, I think. Whereas like Hall didn't finish or drive well, I, I thought. Um, Darian had like a better shot at being a guy that could kind of get into the teeth of defense and, and things like that. Um, but I don't know. There, there's, there's still some questions there for me. Where, where are you at with him? Yeah. I'm higher on Stebron as well for the reasons that you mentioned. He and Hall kind of have two different frames. Mm-hmm. Hall's kind of is tall, but kind of wiry. Yeah. 
And then Sebron's more built is the broad shoulders and the more physical build. And I, I do have the same worries that I have with Hall with him, which is he is a very weak defender. But I do think he has the skills set to possibly improve there. And I don't think NC State was the best development environment for him. Agreed. They were absolutely awful last year. Um, Which is still kind of weird to me. Like you have two draftable guys that they were as bad as they are. It's not like a ringing endorsement for Kevin Keats. I don't think. Right. Um, he did get Turquavion back though. I don't know how, yeah. what voodoo magic he pulled to get him back. Yeah. That's but, wild to me. Um, yeah. I, I have Sebron in the mid second. I have Hall in the late second. So yes, I think, and Sebron did really stand out in the combine a lot more than I was expecting, which actually lessened my worries with him and moved him up slightly on my board. Uh, you can take this how, wherever you want to take it. It can be for the 10th pick. It can be for the 56th pick. It can be kind of anywhere in the draft. Are there any guys that you have like a do not draft this guy? I do not want him on the Wizards um, kind of stamp on. And it, it may not be that you don't think he is in draftable range, but you just don't want to see him in a Wizards uniform for whatever reason. Um, I'm kind of at that point right now with Patrick Baldwin. Okay, that's fair. He just every, there's a bunch of red flags that keep coming up with him, um, whether it be struggling to score against horizon league competition at Milwaukee or having the worst athletic testing by far at the combine and then not even playing in the combine scrimmages to kind of those concerns. It was just kind of bizarre to me. He's kind of, he's a three and D guy who doesn't shoot or play defense at the moment. (laughs) Um, Seems like a bad recipe for success. The, the idea of him is kind of what keeps him in draftable range for me, but I don't think there's enough evidence, at least at the college level, to back that up. Yeah, for anybody that's not familiar, he's a 6'10 freshman that was like a former top 10 prospect or, or recruit and didn't do anything against poor competition this year. I was like 11 points, got hurt partially through the year, and I'm, I'm air quoting hurt because we just don't know how legitimate that actually was. And He's a shooter who doesn't make shots. So it looks pretty, but it doesn't go in very often. So um, that's sometimes that's okay. There are some guys that you can kind of context away why the percentages is lower, but the shot making is legitimate. He just didn't make shots. So I, I know that it's kind of hard to defend at a certain point. The the thing was like his, he was the same player against great competition that he was against terrible competition. And it was, it was just very bizarre. Like if you took his Colorado tape and you took his Cleveland state tape, you would see the same weaknesses show up mm-hmm. all over the place. So that's kind of concerning to me. If you can't score against mid-major level forwards, how are you supposed to score against NBA level defenders? It would seem problematic, I would think. Yeah. So I'm not really into him for the Wizards. Nick, I guess if on draft night you walk out of there and you've given the Wizards like an A plus grade, what do their picks look like? Like what happened for them? What's your best case scenario, I guess? So either they took Daniels at 10 or they traded down and took a pure point later in the first, maybe like mm-hmm. a Chandler or someone else. And then with their second round pick, they took someone who's a, one of those high ceiling guys that we talked about, high ceiling, low floor, kind of variability of outcomes. Or they took a guy like Vince Williams who they could plug in in multiple places and I could see that kind of working out. Mm-hmm. Um, I just... just Please don't take another like really productive college player. 
just, just as long as they don't do that or trade the pick for cash. Like, I feel like that's the worst <laughs> thing that ever happens. Like, please at least take a chance on somebody. <laughs> trade you for a fax cash. machine or a vending machine or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I'm with you. I think like the absolute best case to the point of not being realistic scenario is like Bankero or somebody drops to four <laughs> and they trade up to get him. You know, like one of those kinds of things where like they just stumble into some dumb luck, which as we know, as a Wizards fans has never and almost will is pretty much guaranteed to never happen. So we, we don't have to worry about that for, for me to stay out of the fairy tale range. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, that, that would be, um, a, that, that science fiction at that point. Right. Uh, for me, like the guys they're probably going to end up with just aren't exciting to me for whatever reason. Like I think of the people they talk about in their range, Johnny Davis is probably the guy like most likely to be there that I could see them liking. He kind of fits their mantra. I talked about it a couple episodes ago with just how they've been like really into saying that they're not worried about if a guy made shots so far, it's whether they think he'll work hard enough to be a shooter, which is some cases I get, but I think that's sort of a flawed blanket statement to make out, you know, like if a guy has a really good looking jump shot, but nobody created for him or he took bad shots and it's a shot selection thing. Like I can get into like, okay, percentage was bad, but I can see him as a shooter. Uh, and sometimes that doesn't work out. Like I, I thought Kelly Oubre would come in and be a jump shooter eventually, but that sort of never really has materialized the way I, I thought it was, but they've they've like routinely said that. So I'm convinced they're going to take someone that just like doesn't make shots right now. And that could be a Dyson Daniels. That could be a Johnny Davis. So I don't know. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm like mentally wrestling with where we're going to end up on draft night here. The thing is we're at 10. So there's more variability here. Like if Shaden Sharp drops, do you take him? He's yeah. the high, he's the really high upside swing. I would in that range as well. So and I don't know how I would feel about that either. I, I would be kind of excited about it, but it doesn't really fit our team's timeline, so I'd be a bit confused. But there's just so much going on with this draft class that is just so unpredictable, especially for our range. We keep hearing, like, again, it's that time of the year where you get this sort of, like, planted reports and things like that. But there are multiple guys that are projected to be rising. Tyson Daniels is rising. I heard today that, Multiple teams have Keegan Murray uh, in the three to five range on their boards. So if he goes three, what happens to the rest of the draft? I mean, it's it just, you never know what some uh, somebody's going to think of Shaden Sharp, an individual team. If the teams that like him take somebody else ahead of him, could he slip a little bit? I haven't heard much about AJ Griffin in like a month from like national media. So I don't know what that means for him. Sohan seems to be a popular name for everybody. So like, if a couple guys rise, somebody's got to drop. And I'm just curious what that means, you know, for the wizard. So I think it's going to be a very interesting draft night. I did something in a Twitter mock a couple months ago where I was picking, this is before the lottery. So I think I was picking either like 12 or 13 for the wizards mm -hmm. and Jalen Duran just fell into my lap and we don't need a center, but if Jalen Duran falls into my lap at 12 or 13, that's just an absolute steal. And so I, I just couldn't pass that up. <laughs> Uh, maybe we'll figure it out. We'll maybe trade uh, a Thomas Bryant or something to clear up room. But so, um, so Bryant not on contract for next year. I'm pretty sure, right? So it, it's actually I think just on roster for next season, center wise, right now is uh, Porzingis, Gafford, and Vernon Carey. Not that they couldn't try to bring Bryant back, but um, yeah, 
you know, that they, they, they've they've got enough other low cost options. I think they could bring in that I wouldn't be drafting him for need or whatever. But like you said, if they ended up with someone, if he's the best player on the board, take him. I think that's. I, I guess the, him in the the second tier, the, the three to six mm-hmm. um, grade. So if he fell to like ten, eleven, yeah, uh, I would I would consider it, or I would consider moving back because someone would probably give you significant value to to jump up and grab him. Okay, so I'm not as sold on Duran then. So I've been kind of down on him on this podcast. So for anybody that gets drafted for here, <laughs> sell them on on Jalen Duran and and why he'd be kind of worth um, you know the tenth pick potentially or something. I think the Memphis scheme made him look a lot worse than he was. I, I think he's a fantastic defender. Okay. Yeah, I, I think he has the top interior defense grade for me in this entire draft, which is pretty cool because it has a lot of solid interior defenders yeah, like sure. Christian Coloco, other guys. Um, I think he's a great role man. Um, the ideal rim running big um, can sit in that dunker spot, throw him lobs. I think he's kind of like a supercharged Daniel Gafford to me. I, I would have been curious to see like some of the measurements and testing for him. Cause I actually think that would have probably helped him from a athletic testing standpoint. Cause he looks pretty darn athletic, but you know, sometimes guys like that kind of throw you too. I, I do, I do question the size a little bit. He looked similarly sized, um, more kind of filled out frame, but like he and drew Timmy looked to be about the same height to me. And Timmy's like six, nine. So uh, how big is, is Duran actually is something I would kind of be interested in. The um, Memphis offense also isn't geared for pro prospects. It's very painful to watch. Like, what they, offense I think is probably the, the question. Like they were terrible and then no point guard. They, they would like dump him the ball in like the worst possible positions and expect him to just go do something, okay. which, you know, was, was very painful to watch for someone who likes Duran as much as I do. From what I've heard, too, the high school tape with him is sort of more versatile. Like there's some passing, there's some creative offensive stuff, um, there's some facing up, like things that you didn't really get to see uh, in Memphis at all this year. But I haven't gone back to watch because I'm kind of lazy, and I I, <laughs> I I don't think we'll end up with someone like him. But it it wouldn't be surprising to me. I did say when we saw the Mark Williams measurements that. I don't know. Maybe that'll be a guy that Tommy Shepard or somebody goes after. But again, I still kind of hope not. Mark Williams would be a guy you take if you just want to like screw over the Hornets. (laughs) He's such a perfect fit for the Hornets. Like you don't want to end up with him in your division for the next like 10 years. (laughs) Yeah. The the idea of him just catching lobs, you know, from uh, LaMelo for the next decade is kind of scary for other teams, I think. Yeah. All right, Nick, this has been great. Anything you want to leave listeners with draft wise, any other kind of wizards related thoughts you got here? Um, no, not really. Just as long as we end up with some sort of playmaker at the one and some sort of, as long as we pick somebody at 56, then I'll be at least satisfied. Um, If we come out of the off season with those two things, I think I'll be fine with it. I think Tommy has seemed to value draft capital much more than his predecessor. So I am hopeful that they keep that, like you said, and do something with the pick. Nick, where can people find your work? Um, so you can follow me on Twitter, uh, Cali Drafts, K-A-L-I Drafts. Um, and then I also write for a website called The Looney Bin, uh, Draft TLB on Twitter as well. Um, so I've, I've done several prospect breakdowns, Mark Williams, Keegan Murray. Um, and they're, I'm probably going to write at least one more before the actual draft happens. So that is where you can find me. 
Very cool. For anybody, if you're not following Nick, please give him a follow. It's very insightful stuff. Uh, it's one of the first places I go. I was actually following through your tweets in real time after some of the combine scrimmages because I just needed like a sanity check that what I was seeing was what somebody else was seeing. So right. um, that was definitely appreciated. All right, Nick, appreciate it, man. I guess uh, we'll we'll talk soon. Maybe we do another one of these kind of post draft and, and see where we ended up and and how this kind of compares. You know what we thought versus uh, you know what they ended up doing. Yeah, sure. I had a great time. This is like my first major podcast appearance, I think, ever. So thank you for for having me on. That's awesome, man. You killed it. First of many, I'm sure. How good was that? Uh, as Dick mentioned, you know, he's he's a younger guy. So uh, very cool to see like the next generation of uh, just draft analysts coming up here. I think Nick's somebody that's um, going to do this for a very long time because he puts in the work. He watches these players a lot. And uh you know, just hard work pays off. So I hope we see more of his content coming over, over the next couple of years. So like I said, give him a follow if you aren't already and, and all that good stuff. If you're looking for something else to watch on TV that is sort of not NBA finals, but you want a little more basketball related content, ESPN 30 for 30 just had the greatest mixtape ever about the N1 mixtape, you know, era, basically uh, not so much on the ESPN show and the the tour, but kind of the early mixtapes and the players that made that and, and where that came from and why it kind of fizzled out after, you know, five years ish or so. So as someone who literally cannot dribble the ball with their left hand, it's always um, fascinating to me to watch people that have the ball on a string like that. So uh, it was always really cool for me growing up to, to watch the, you know, the street ball show and the N1 mixtape tour guys. So uh, very cool. If you haven't checked it out, I would highly recommend it. Very interesting. Only about an hour. I could have watched like another hour personally. So pretty, pretty cool to watch. Uh, as always, this has uh, been Believe in Wizards. Please rate, review, subscribe. We appreciate all that stuff. Um, as I've mentioned, it, you know, means a lot to us. So uh, let us know what you want to hear about. I mean, we can keep talking draft. There's not a whole lot going on yet because it's sort of pre-free agency and things like that. Um, got some other sort of general wizards topics that that we'll bring to you over the next couple of weeks. But if there's something you know specific you want to hear about, as always, reach out. We, we love that kind of stuff. And uh, yeah, we'll talk to you next time. As always, uh, we were presented by betonline.ag. ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time there's granger offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need plus you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you call clickgranger.com or just stop by granger for the ones who get it done